Hey there, this is Josh, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you will better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we are living out our ancient faith in modern times, and we believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. So today we are uh, at the announcement time going to have a time to pray for students and teachers and administrators as they go back to school. And so we're calling this today Back to School Sunday. In a couple weeks, actually on the 27th of this month, we're going to have what we're calling VPK Sunday, Voluntary Pre-Kindergarten. That's our school over here. We're going to invite the parents and uh, students to come and be with us on that Sunday. And then on September 10th, we're having what we call Back to Church Sunday, and that is sort of a, an opportunity for us to invite folks who maybe haven't been in a while to say, hey, come on back and check us out. Um, but each of those Sundays has a very similar theme to them, a similar idea. They are each about outreach, each about giving us opportunities as the church, as the people of God here at Grace, to reach out, to share the faith that God has put inside of us, Another word that we use when we often think about this idea of reaching out is this word evangelism. Now, that word evangelism has gotten a bad rap over the years. People think, oh, I don't want to be an evangelist. I don't know what that means even. What I would say is this. Literally, it means this. It means sharing the good news. That's what evangelism is. And so when we agree with God to share that good news through the events that we have coming up today and the next couple weeks, or just out in the world, we are actually being evangelical. That is, folks who take joy in sharing the hope that is inside of us. This good news that has been given to us, when we get to share it, you're being an evangelist whether you, want, whether you think that word is appropriate or not. That's what you're doing. And so the question that I'd love for you to ask yourself, and at least be honest because God already knows, is... Is that something that that scares you? Is being someone who shares their faith intentionally something that you're willing to do, that you're open to? Now, as I was thinking about this question for myself, I remember the first time I was challenged to share my faith. A friend of mine said, hey, why don't you come over? We're going to have some, uh, we're going to talk about what it means to share our faith out into the world. And I remember when he invited me, I was like, no, that sounds way too scary. I have It makes me nervous to talk about this idea of sharing my faith. I didn't know what he was talking about, even when he invited me to come over. And I have to confess that I was afraid. I was afraid because when we share our faith, we're sharing something very personal about ourselves, right? And to share that means we're putting ourselves out there. Sharing ourselves can also mean that we can make mistakes and What if I get the facts wrong? What if I fumble? What if I end up looking dumb or even worse in my mind, what if I ended up misrepresenting who God was? That I said something so wrong that I I actually didn't even say what God said about himself. And then there's this ultimate one. What if I offend the person that I'm talking to? What if I make somehow an enemy rather than a friend of God? Not intentionally, but just because I'm a dork. (laughs) 
So I had all these fears, all this trepidation. I go to this, this meeting with my friend, and it was so helpful because he explained to me, look, every time I think about sharing my faith that way, anytime I think about evangelism that way, I'm making it about me. And in fact, sharing our faith is not about convincing someone to be a Christian. It's not something that I have to force in a conversation. The great news that I learned then and I still believe to this very day is that God doesn't need me to convince anyone about how great he is. Because he's God, right? He's already got this. So that's great news for us. In fact, what I learned that day, and I want to tell you again today, is that our responsibility in being evangelists, that is, folks who share this good news inside of us, is to listen to God and to the person we're talking to, to respond to whatever questions or ideas that come up, and then to trust. To trust that God could use a rusty bucket like me. A rusty bucket like you. To listen, to respond, and to trust. And when I left that day, our little time together, I remember having this weight lifted from my shoulders because I no longer felt this obligation that I was supposed to go out and dutifully share my faith with somebody and inflict myself upon them. But instead, I got to listen to them and to respond to whatever they said and to trust that God would be enough. I didn't have to convert anybody. I didn't have to know the whole Bible. I didn't have to be super smart or charismatic. And in fact, I'm still none of those things. So good news. And hopefully it's good news for you too. It's with this in mind that I want us to look at our second Peter reading today. And if you have your bulletin, go ahead and turn to that. It's right before the gradual song. Um, and I want to look specifically at that second paragraph where Peter, who's coming to the end of his life, is writing the church. And I love what he says here. I love how he's talking about how he has shared this message with the people that he's loved. And I hope that it inspired you when you heard it read. Here's what he said. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, just that one sentence. Let's pause right there for that one sentence. And I want to take that, that sentence apart a little bit because I frankly think it's brilliant how Peter is sharing this. Let's talk about this for a second. He first says that he did not share, they did not share cleverly devised. Now, we'll pause right there. Cleverly devised. This gospel, that is this idea that Christ came and lived a perfect life, that he died and that he rose again, that's the gospel. Gospel means good news. It's not cleverly devised. It's not made up. In fact, if you're honest about that story, it's absurd, right? Who comes and does what Jesus did, then dies and then rises again? It doesn't happen. It's nuts. It's crazy. There's actually nothing clever about it at all. If I was going to make a cleverly devised story, I would make one that made a lot more sense to all of us. This story doesn't make any sense. Which reinforces for me that it's not concocted. It's not contrived. It's not clever. It's radical. It's life-changing. It's unbelievably true. And so I love that it's not some machination of our imaginations. 
fact in history. But he says it's not a cleverly devised myth. What's a myth? Well, a myth is a story or a fable, maybe an illustration that you've heard that doesn't require facts or truth. Because a myth, when they're being told, when these stories are being told, they point towards a larger idea or a theme. Maybe it's a moral idea, something that, a way that you could live your life or how to be uh, more wise in this world. When we think of myths, I want you to think of mythology, Greeks and Romans, the, 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 the gods of the myth. We're kind of to show us what not to do and what to do. That's why they told those myths. Whether they existed or not didn't really matter. It was the point behind the story that mattered. And what Peter's saying here is we don't have a cleverly devised myth. Nobody made this up to make a point so that you would be a better person or a nicer person or that you would uh, let folks cut in line in front of you. No. These were the facts. These were truth. And it was... He says, the eyewitness part, that really blows your mind. Because they said they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So these aren't cleverly devised myths, but they're eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what majesty is he talking about? Well, he's talking about our gospel, isn't he? Luke chapter 9, when Peter, James, and John, they go up on that mountain, and they see Jesus transfigured, literally changed, Glowing, shining, dazzling white is what the text says. And a cloud overshadows them. And they are terrified as a voice seemingly out of nowhere and perhaps out of everywhere says, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. They saw. They heard. They knew that there was no guile There was no cleverness in telling this story. These were the facts. And I love how how Peter tells them so poignantly because he was clearly changed by it. There is enough craziness in that story in Luke 9 that you don't need to make up any more craziness. It happened just like that, and they were eyewitnesses to it. They didn't need to make it more salacious, more interesting. He was changed in front of their eyes. Moses and Elijah are suddenly there when they shouldn't be. There's this huge cloud. There's this even bigger voice. Peter sees it all, and he says, now that's majestic. It's so awesome that he can't help but talk about it, even to the last days of his life. And I would love to say that each of us, I hope and pray that each of you have had some kind of experience, maybe not as dramatic as Peter's, but some moment in your life where you knew, where you felt, where you saw, where you heard the presence of God right in your midst. Those moments where you too have been eyewitnesses to his majesty. I think he still does those same things. Now, I want to maybe help you out a little bit here and lower the bar so it doesn't have to be quite this dramatic, okay? This week I was, uh, I've been reading this, this really great book. I encourage it to you all called The Language of God by a guy named Francis Collins. 
Now, Francis, um, I probably should call him Dr. Collins, was the head of the Human Genome Project, where they mapped out the entire sequence of the DNA. And in his book, The Language of God, he's talking about why he believes that he is both fully a Christian and fully a scientist and how those things actually work perfectly together. It is a brilliant book, and I commend it to you. I was so taken by his story, but particularly about how he came to faith, because he came to faith later in life. He actually grew up in a, in a home where faith was not relevant. It was not talked about. It was not a part of his life. And so when he went off to college and entered into the scientists, he started as agnostic and became atheist, like a lot of folks do in their college years. That is, atheists being against God, and he kind of thought that's just kind of where he should fall out, particularly if he was going to be someone committed to science. He gets his Ph.D. in biology, and at the end of his Ph.D., he decides, you know what, I think I should go be a medical doctor as well. So he goes back to med school. So now he's going to be a double doctor, okay? In his third year of his time in med school, he's doing his rotations, and he's in North Carolina, and he is meeting with a woman who has severe, untreatable angina. She's not going to get better, and she's in constant pain. And they're talking about her condition and how it could potentially mean the end of her life. And she stops in the middle of their conversation, and she says, Dr. Collins, what do you believe? Not about the science, but what do you believe about God? And this highly educated double doctor confessed to her, I don't really know what I believe. And in that very poignant moment, Collins says that he was an eyewitness to the majesty of God because he realized that he had been running from one question his whole life, and that was, was there evidence for or against belief at all? He had never been honest enough to even ask that question. This patient had shared her Christian beliefs with him. She had shared her eyewitness moments with him. And now it came to his turn. And he had to be honest enough to say, I don't really know what I think. So he did what I think a lot of folks do, and I hope this may happen to you someday. He knew that he knew of somebody of faith on his block. There was actually a pastor that lived on his street. So he went down and just knocked on the guy's door and said, Hey, I know that you're a person of faith. What should I do? What, what do I think about this? And the guy, the pastor, just handed him a book and said, Here, read this. It was Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. What would you do if someone asked you that question? Hey, you're a person of faith. What should I think about? How should I handle this? You could do a lot worse than handing him that book, by the way. <laughs> he began to read that book with a very simple question, what do I believe? And from that, he became an eyewitness to the majesty of God. He listened. He was listened to by this woman. She responded to him. The pastor responded to him as well. And then he trusted in God ultimately. Collins today continues to change the world. He has been given this incredible position to speak both to science and to his faith in Jesus Christ. 
And he constantly is bringing up that exact question. Who is this person of Christ? Because he's met him. It wasn't dramatic. It wasn't like the cloud came down on him. But he asked that question and he got answers about what he actually believed. Brothers and sisters, can you do that? Will you do that? If someone asks you, if you're having that, dis- that discussion with somebody and they say, what do you believe? Are you willing to go there and listen to them, to God, to respond to them, and to have God be God in the midst of that? I hope so. In fact, I would argue that's why you're here today. Whether you knew it or not, that's why you came today, to be inspired to do just that. Because you can do it, even if you don't think you can. I want you to know also what I've learned about this word evangelism that I was so afraid of all those years ago is this. It's really fun. It's really fun to share your faith. Not for the reasons that you think. Not just because sometimes people come to a decision to follow Christ. That's not why it's fun. It's fun because you get to be in the presence of God in a way that you did not expect to be. God shows up and you're like, whoa, how'd you get here, God? And the truth is he's been there waiting for you just to open your mouth. And so I have learned over the years that listening, responding, and trusting in God in these times is actually a blast, not one filled with fear. It's a place that I've learned to lean into and lean on God because I am deficient. I'm a rusty bucket. But God isn't. He is sufficient. So my question to you today is this. What are you going to do when you leave here today? Probably going to go get some lunch. Probably going to hang out with some folks. Meet up with some friends. You're going to maybe do some family stuff. If not today, then tomorrow. You're going to go back into your life doing regular life. And what I want to tell you is, in each of either today or tomorrow, you have an opportunity in front of you. An opportunity to listen, to respond, and to trust. Those opportunities are there. Maybe you're going to the doctor tomorrow, and maybe you've got some hard stuff in your life, and you can ask him or her, what do you believe? Maybe you're going to the dentist, and while they have their hands deep in your mouth, (laughs) you can ask those same questions. Maybe you're going to the dry cleaners, and while you're sitting in line, you can start that little conversation, and you just don't know where it's going to go. Because God is so big and so ready for this conversation. So my challenge to you is to try it. As we today are going to pray for teachers and administrators and students, my prayer for them is exactly the same thing. That they would go to that place, that holy place that we call school, and let God use them there. So that other folks could see his majesty. But maybe you're not going to school this week, and that's okay. You are going somewhere. And wherever you go, there are people there who have those same questions. So listen to them. Respond to them. And trust that God cannot and will not fail you. Let me pray. Father, I trust you. I have learned over the years that you want to use us and use me in situations that I cannot possibly imagine. 
And so I pray that for every person here in church today. Lord, if there are folks here today who haven't yet made that decision to trust you, I pray that they would be honest enough to say, I don't know where I stand in relationship with you, and yet I want to do that, and that they would bend their knee and accept you as their Lord and Savior. But for the rest of us who have made that decision, I pray that we would be honest enough to not let our fear get the best of us, that we would see you in these everyday life moments and ask the people around us what they believe and how they could see you. Lord, I pray that we would find joy in those moments, not fear. And as that happens, God, that we would be changed and your kingdom would be built here on earth as it's being built in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you've been a part of our conversation today. Our prayer is that you will take what you've heard and bring it to the Lord with the question, what would you have me do? To find out more about all the good things that are happening on our campus and how you can get involved, feel free to follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, and at our website, graceocala.org. Go in peace.